0: Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from his word today. Hey there. Welcome to church. Thank you so much for joining us today. I look forward to meeting you. If we've not yet had the chance to meet, I'm Pastor Matt. And to all you who call Bible Center Church your home, I just want to say how excited I am and looking forward to being with you by God's grace sooner than later, as soon as it's safe for us to meet together, which seems to be very, very soon. I want to encourage you to check out all the details at BibleCenterChurch.com. You can also check out the announcements on our app. Right now, they are being updated on almost daily, so you're going to want to check those out for when we meet, how we meet, and all the guidelines that we seek to follow to keep everybody safe. But this morning, we're going to continue in our Exodus series, uh, looking at this series we've entitled Divergent, What in the World Do We Do Now?, You see, as we emerge from this season of transition, this season of crisis, this season of uncertainty, uh, uh, certainly we need a word from the Lord. And God has directed me, he's directed our pastors to the book of Exodus because if there ever was a book that speaks to our current situation, I believe it is the book of Exodus. Let me encourage you to check out all the resources on our homepage as well as on the app related to this series. All the messages are there. Our staff has been doing a daily short video devotional, really going chapter by chapter, almost verse by verse through the book of Exodus. So you wanna check that out. And Pastor Mike and his team, and even Josh Willits has has contributed to a nice study booklet on the book of Exodus. All that's there, all the resources we wanna facilitate and help you grow closer to Jesus through this series. But let me ask you to go ahead and take your Bible or your Bible app and open to the book of Exodus back in chapter three. Uh, If you're not sure where that is or if you're new to church, you can Google that, Exodus chapter three. The words are also gonna be up here on the screen. But before we read, I wanna take a second and wish you, all you dads out there, a happy Father's Day. So happy Father's Day to you. I'm so glad, especially for you dads who've tuned in. Thank you for being a part uh, of this special day. And, And fathers and fatherhood are near and dear to the book of Exodus. It's actually one of the themes of the entire book, for we find that the word fathers or fatherhood is mentioned 31 times in the book of Exodus 16 times it refers to Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. We're gonna learn a lot about him back when when we study uh, Exodus chapter 18 here in a few weeks. Um, One time it actually refers to Moses' biological father. If you wanna win a Bible trivia game, his name is Amram, A-M-R-I-M. You can read all about it in Exodus chapter six and verse 20. Six times, it refers to laws that are directly related to fathers. Uh, One of the most famous is found in Exodus chapter 20 in verse 12, where it says, "'Children, uh, honor your father and your mother.'" But eight times in the book of Exodus, this idea of fathers or fatherhood is is used as a term of honor, and God invites us to remember his faithfulness to our spiritual fathers, our spiritual ancestors, and the foundation that they have laid, and just as God has been faithful to them, God is also going to be faithful to us. But today I wanna begin by asking you a question, and this is a question I've been thinking a lot about this week. What is your duty as a father? If you're a father, what is your duty? As a dad, what is your highest duty? Is your highest duty to make sure your children all make straight A's? Is your highest duty to make sure that they are star athletes in 10 different sports at once? Is your highest duty to make sure that they go to the nicest college or that you leave them a lot of money when you die? Is your highest duty to make sure that they fit in with pop culture or the mainstream media? Is your highest duty to provide top-of-the-line clothing, the best toys, the best houses, the best cars, the best vacations? You see, that's an answer that I want for myself. What is my duty as a father? What is my highest duty as a dad? And I believe you want that answer as well. And so today, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, I wanna confess at the very beginning of my message that I wanna do all that I can to help you through this message. Dads in particular, I am on the journey with you. None of my children have graduated high school. All three of my kids still live at home, and I do not have this thing figured out. And so I'm gonna share with you today some things that God is still teaching me. I plan to get very open and honest about what I I think we're doing well, but areas that we're not doing well at all, and how God has used this sermon in preparation to share it with you, even to bring conviction and encouragement to my own heart Children, no matter how old you are, I wanna speak to you through this message. Uh, kids, I wanna help you help your father help you, if that makes any sense. And so even if you're not a dad, if you're a child, or, or maybe you don't have children yet of your own, if if God has given you a father or a father figure in your life, I wanna help you help them help you. And then for moms, those of you who, who, are, who are caring for children, loving children, no matter how, if they're in the home, out of the home, I'm praying that God uses this message to help you as well. And in particular, that God might use it to help you shape the hearts of, of the children uh, that, that have that father in their life. And so I want to, this message to be a help to you. But no matter who you are, certainly all of us have influence All of us have leadership. And so my prayer is that no matter where you are, this message will give you something tangible to practice in your own leadership. So we asked the question today, dads, what is our highest duty? Thankfully, the Bible has the answer to that question. And so what I'm gonna do today is we're gonna look at a familiar passage and we're gonna look at fathers and fatherhood throughout the entire book of Exodus. We're gonna kind of do an overview. And then I'm gonna leave you with one point. I'm gonna leave you with one main thought and I'm gonna answer that question by God's grace from the Bible about the dad's highest duty. So let's go ahead and dive in. We're gonna start at Exodus chapter three in verse number one, Exodus Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father. We'll come back to that in a minute the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And now the Lord said, "'I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. "'I have heard them crying out "'because of their slave drivers, "'and I'm concerned about their suffering. "'So I have come down to rescue them "'from the hand of the Egyptians "'to bring them up out of that land "'into a good and spacious land.'" a land flowing with milk and honey. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, God says, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Let's notice carefully how God responds. And God said, I will be with you. This will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You will worship God on this mountain, talking about Mount Sinai particularly. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers, that's important, has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What, then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, there it is again, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. That's a theme that we're gonna see over and over again in this book. Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into a land flowing with milk and honey." Now, there's a lot there in that passage, and we looked at it in depth several weeks ago, but this particular passage alone has five or six references to the fatherhood of God or this aspect of a spiritual heritage passed down to us from our fathers. And so whenever we wanna interpret any part of the Bible, particularly a part of the Bible in the Old Testament, it's good to think of it in terms of a three-layered cake. So this helps you remember, if you're studying in your Bible, you're reading in your devotions in the Old Testament, how should we interpret, how should we think about, particularly an Old Testament passage like this? Well, I think of each layer of the cake, all three layers, as three questions. The first question you ask when you put that knife down in the top of the cake is, what does this passage teach me about God? The second layer is the question, what does this passage teach me about the history of God's people? And the third and final layer is, what are the details of this passage and how can I apply it to my life? So let's start with the first layer. What does this particular passage, this particular theme teach us about God? Well, these things are in your notes, but I also wanna share them with you here today. Among many other things, Exodus points us to the fatherhood of God. One of the big themes, again, in this book is that God is a father to his people. If you look with me in Exodus chapter four and verse 22, then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn, this is God talking, and he says, my firstborn son. Let my son go so he may worship me. This is the first time in the entire Bible that God refers to himself as a father, not just creator, but to a father to his people, particularly the father of Israel. A big theme in Exodus is that God the father is delivering his son Israel out of Egypt. And this theme is carried over throughout the New Testament. Jesus taught us to refer to God as our Father. This is why he says in the model prayer, our Father who art in heaven. Now, for those of us that had good earthly fathers, this is is an easy image to conjure up in our minds. No father is perfect, but for those of us that had faithful dads who, who loved the Lord or who loved us, uh, this, this image of a father brings up many happy memories. But for those that maybe didn't have that in their life, they didn't have that father figure or at least a, a father figure that's favorable, if that's you listening, I wanna confess to you that I don't know how you feel and I don't wanna pretend to know how you feel but if you would allow me, I wanna wanna encourage you with two things. One, I'm gonna pray for you in a bit that God will give you some figures in your life, some father-like figures that can make up and take the place of some of those things that have been missing in your life, maybe for many, many years. But I'm also gonna encourage you as we study through the book of Exodus, look at ways that God is your father and let the Lord fill those gaps of your soul, those, those gaps of your life, those gaping holes that maybe you've been there for years. And remember that God is the father to his children. And he's the perfect father at that. Well, if we go back to the cake illustration, we've gone through the top layer of the cake. So we've asked, what does this passage teach us about God? And now we're gonna ask, what does this passage teach us about the history of God's people. What does the passage teach us about the history of God's people? Well, again, this answer also is in your notes. But for a millennia, God has been faithful to keep his promises to his people. Moses's ancestral fathers are living proof, living testimony to the faithfulness of God. God. Look with me in Exodus chapter three and verse six. Then he said, I am the God of your, there it is, father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now Moses goes on to to talk to God. Moses goes on to speak to God. But God's words to Moses was, I am the God of your father. Now, some scholars believe that father here is singular because God is referring specifically to Moses's earthly father. It's possible that could be what's going on because again, we have the word father and it's singular. We find him in Exodus chapter six and verse 20. Again, his name is Amram. In Hebrews chapter 11, we learn that Moses' father and mother are mentioned. They're not mentioned by name, but they are mentioned for living simple, quiet lives, but for having extraordinary faith. And by God's grace, if God would allow all of us even to fit in that category where nobody knows our name, but we live quiet, faithful lives day after day, we would be in good company with Moses's earthly father and with Moses's mother. But other scholars believe that father here is a collective singular Again, not referring specifically to Moses's one father, but to the collection of faithful ancestors who went before. If you're taking notes, you want to write down Acts chapter 7 and verse 32. And Acts chapter 7 and verse 32, Stephen, before he's he's killed, before he's martyred, Stephen quotes Exodus chapter 3 and verse 6. And in in Acts, Acts chapter 7 and verse 32, Stephen uses the plural form of fathers instead of the singular form of fathers, which gives us a little bit of a hint that Moses probably, or that God was probably talking about, again, a collection of fathers. But in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 13, God says something similar. He says, Moses says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me. What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call from generation to Generation. Now, Israel had known the name of God for centuries. As you look back in the book of Genesis, they already knew the covenant name for God. We know that as Yahweh in Hebrew, or in, in Greek, it was translated or transliterated as Jehovah. That's God's literal name. Just like my name is Matthew, God's name is Yahweh, or Jehovah in Greek. They already knew that name. But what God was trying to get them to do was no more than just a name in their head, but to have a relationship with him in their hearts. This is why it says in Exodus chapter three and verse 16, go, God says, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you Think of the care that's in this verse. I have watched over you and I have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into a land flowing with milk and honey. God says the same thing in Exodus chapter four and verse five. He says, this said the Lord is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob has appeared to you. And last Sunday, we heard from Exodus chapter 15 and verse two, this song that Moses wrote and that his sister Miriam sang. In the very second verse, just several lines down, we find Moses pointing back to the faithfulness of God to his fathers. He says, the Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him My father's God and I will exalt him. And so as we're interpreting Exodus chapter three, or really the the idea of the fatherhood of God throughout the book of Exodus, it's important to see that Moses and the followers of God weren't to primarily celebrate their individual relationship with God, although that's important, but we see that primarily they were celebrating their corporate, communal relationship with God. Over and over again in the scriptures, God reminds us to be thankful that we've been invited into the community of faith. We've been invited into this beautiful heritage, this beautiful family where God has been faithful to his people for millennia, and he will be faithful to us as well. So back to the cake illustration. We've answered the first two questions. What does this passage teach us about God? Well, primarily it teaches us about his, about his fatherhood. The second question is, what does it teach us about the history of God's people? But now's the time when you get to the bottom layer of the cake. This is when we can ask the third and maybe the question that's most commonly asked, but it's a question that we can still ask after we've mentioned the other two, and that's this. What are the details of this passage And how can I apply it to my life? What are the details of this passage? Well, the book of Exodus, again, mentions fathers or fatherhood 31 times. Over and over again, as we see, as we continue throughout the book, Moses calls parents, but in this case, specifically fathers, to raise their children in the faith. Just as many other parts of the Bible call mothers to raise their children in the faith, Exodus particularly invites fathers to raise their children in the faith. Now, a big theme in the book of Exodus that we're going to see in the time we have left is not only that God invites us to build into our, our immediate children but God invites us to be thinking about generation after generation. Over and over again, there's this theme that Moses uses. He calls it to the third and fourth generation. And so God is calling us not just to be concerned about raising our, own, our children in the faith right now, but to prepare them in such a way that they will raise their children in the faith, and then that they will raise their children in the faith. Here's the big idea. I told you at the beginning that we were gonna talk about our our duty as dads. What What is a dad's highest duty? Here it is. A dad's highest duty is to make disciples of his children who make disciples of their children. A dad's highest duty is to make disciples of his children who will then in turn make disciples of their children. Now, when we talk about disciples, of course, we're talking about disciples of Jesus. But God invites us, just as the Apostle Paul did, for us to be able to say to our children, Follow me as I follow Christ. Now, to be fair, I want to mention right here, right now, before we go any farther, this is not easy. There is no guarantee in the Bible, 100% guarantee that if you do ABC, your children will turn out X, Y, Z. There's principles in the Bible of how life works most of the time. One of those is found in the book of Proverbs, where Proverbs says, train up a child on the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. That is a principle of how life works most of the time. But we also have to remember that God is the perfect father. And God led his children through the wilderness, as we'll see for the next seven or eight weeks in Exodus. God was perfect to them. He provided for them and he still had children who rebelled. And so it's helpful for us to remember at this point that this is a goal for which we strive but this also something that we can't do on our own. As a matter of fact, we can't do anything on our own. We need Jesus. There's no perfect father and there's no perfect child. All of us are sinners, all of us. Every family is broken and some way or another, we all need Jesus Christ. I was reminded just the other day of of the sinfulness that's in all of our hearts, uh, even in the sinfulness of our little eight-year-old boy, uh, I had there was something that his mother and I had told him not to do. It wasn't that big a deal, but we had just told him we would prefer that he not do this particular thing. and And so I left the room, and and then I came back and discovered that he had done it. And so I asked him about it. I I said, "Son, did 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 you do this?" And he said, "Well, well, yes." And I said, "Well, you know, mom and daddy don't really." wanting you do this, and he put his hand on my shoulder, just like a little pastor would do. He put his hand on my shoulder and he said, "'Dad, it's okay. I felt God's voice asked me to do it. I felt God's voice asked me to do it.'" Now, we all have a little Pharisee in us all, but we all desperately need Jesus. We're gonna learn as we go through the book of Exodus that the plan or the model for fatherhood was actually to be seen in the priesthood. Aaron was to have children and they were to be priests and then they were to be priests and have children and they were to be priests. The line of Aaron was supposed to produce priests for generation after generation, but it didn't even get to one generation before Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, turn their backs on God. And so we're gonna learn, we're gonna be reminded that there's no perfect father, there's no perfect children, there's no perfect priest, which is why we need Jesus. God is the perfect father. Jesus is the only son who perfectly obeyed. And Jesus is the great high priest who has never failed us and never will. The gospel is the good news that the living God who demands perfection of all humankind sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to live a sinless life, to suffer and die on the cross as a substitute for our sins, absorbing the judgment that we rightfully deserve to rise again, to ascend back into heaven and to give forgiveness and righteousness and his spirit and eternal life at the moment anyone repents or believes. The gospel story is this beautiful story of history of how God created all things, but sin broke all things. Thankfully, Jesus died to to save all things. Jesus died to to save us from our sins. Jesus died to reconcile this world to God, the Bible says. And we find in the scriptures that he who has the son has life, but he who does not have the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, let me urge you to commit your life to Christ to give your life to Christ, to right there in your own words, ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life, confess him as your master, confess him as your savior, ask him to help you follow him and Jesus will begin to transform you. Jesus will one day restore you in the place of heaven, this place of the new heavens and the new earth. So we'll never be Jesus and that's not the purpose of this message at all. But in this message, I do wanna encourage you to to strive for virtue, that that we as fathers would would sense the invitation from God to strive for this calling to make disciples of our children who will then in turn for generations wanna make disciples of their children. I love what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter six and verse four. He says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It sounds a lot like Psalm 127. In Psalm 127, verse three, "'Children are a heritage from the Lord, "'offspring a reward from him. "'Like arrows in the hands of a warrior "'are children born in one's youth. "'Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. "'They will not be put to shame "'when they contend with their opponents in court.'" The image there in Psalm 127 isn't that we somehow have our children like arrows in our quiver forever, but it's that we, we prepare to send them out. We, we send them out into the world. In this case, we send them out into the courts. We send them out into society so that they can be effective through the preparation by God's grace that we have given them. And all of this sounds a lot like what Jesus said in Matthew 28 and verse 19. He says, go, or literally while you're going, make disciples. That's the emphasis of this verse. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, I am so thankful for the discipleship emphasis that we're seeing take place at Bible Center Church. Uh, We've got some things we'll be sharing at our upcoming member meeting of the 30-some folks that have gone through our first discipleship course. And and by God's grace, we are going to then uh, begin to build in and disciple others who will disciple others. It's gonna be exciting. But may God help us with this. May the Lord remind us that if our discipleship reaches the entire city for Christ, but we forget our own children, then we've completely missed the calling of God on our lives. In other words, God invites us to let discipleship begin at home. And and as we disciple our children and disciple our families and grow closer in following Jesus, then it's from that position of stability that we can then go out and make disciples in our city, in our valley, and in our region and around the world. When God calls us to make disciples, he invites us to think generationally Just as back in the book of Exodus, Moses talks about the third and the fourth generations. May God help us not just to make disciples of our children, but to make disciples of our children who will then in turn make disciples of their children. You know, this just a couple weeks ago, we had come on board, we hired our high school pastor. We've said a lot about that so far, Pastor Ryan Bandy. And I was just thinking this week while preparing this message, how that Ryan's grandma was my Sunday school teacher growing up at a church on the other end of the valley. And then how that, that Ryan's parents, how, how his, his parents came to faith and how his parents raised him in the faith. I remember when Ryan, not to embarrass him, was just a, a little boy and we visited his house. I remember uh, my wife and I were able to, to see him sitting there on the couch reading his Bible as a, at a young age. And I just knew that God was gonna use him greatly. And now he and Stephanie are raising little Annalise. Four generations. That's what God invites us to have in our minds. I'm thinking of Rosalie Cox, one of our earliest members at Bible Center. Uh, just a, a few folks remember uh, the charter service back in the 40s uh, when we were meeting down at a storefront downtown. But here, Rosalie then raises Anna, who marries Dickie Reif. And they raised Michelle Davis, who who eventually gives her heart to Jesus. And now her and Wayne are in our church, and, and they're raising foster children for the glory of Christ in our church. There's four generations, and the list could go on and on, of others of you who are giving your lives for the next generation. This week, I received one of the most encouraging phone calls I've received probably during this pandemic. It was a, a friend who had grown up in our church and had moved away for a season. And they've been back for some time. But but he called me just to say, he said, Pastor Matt, I just want you to know, Matt, my wife and I are, are going to, as soon as we're able to come back to church and as soon as the pandemic is over, we are jumping in to Bible Center I know where we've been and I know where we are. And and by God's grace, I know where we're going. He said his children are connecting now to the children's ministry that's taking place online and that's taking place on TV. And his grandmother is still part of our church. His parents are still faithful members of our church. And now he and his wife are jumping into our church and their children are jumping into the church, whether it be our church or some other church, there's four generations of people thinking beyond themselves. A dad's highest duty is to make disciples of his children who make disciples of their children. Why is this so important? You know, I believe it's important because it it affects our legacy. It affects our prayers. It it affects the way we spend our money. It it affects the way we spend time with our children. It's gonna make a lasting impact on our church. Imagine with this vision what will happen in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, 100 years if Jesus tarries as fathers, on this Father's Day in particular, make disciples of their children who make disciples of their children. Here's what I want you to do today. I want to encourage you, decide today that you'll make disciples of your children who will make disciples of their children You say, Pastor Matt, how do I do that? I'm not asking you to take all the steps, just like I'm not gonna take all the steps this week, but I wanna encourage you to, I wanna mention some things, and I wanna encourage you to pick from this list. Pick from this list or write them there in your notes and circle one that, by God's grace, you're gonna try to do this week. Maybe one, you could pray with your children every day. Just to pray with your kids every day. It's small, it's simple, but actually it is a big deal. When your children are small, let me encourage you uh, to do what Sarah and I did and and read them a little children's storybook Bible before they go to bed. You have such an impact on their lives more than you'll ever imagine doing that night after night after night. One thing you can do is just share with your children what God is teaching you. Sarah and I have found that to be effective. And just in conversation over dinner, telling them what God is teaching us in our devotions, you'll be surprised how interested they are, how they'll listen most of the time. Model the Christian life. Show your children what it looks like to repent. Ask for forgiveness when you do wrong. Show them what it looks like to have a godly marriage. Show them what it looks like to to make wise choices with your finances. Let's read the Bible with our children. I've got older kids and I was thinking this week of all the things we read them and all the things we talk about. How long has it been since I just sat with my Bible and we just read the scriptures? That's what I wanna do more. You pray for me and I'll pray for you. Why do I want you to be doing these things? Why am I so passionate about these things? Because I believe a dad's highest priority, a dad's highest duty is to make disciples of his children who make disciples of their children. Let me pray for you now that God will make it so. Father, will you please help dads on this Father's Day to point their children to Jesus, not just them, but with a vision in mind that they will one day point their children to Jesus and generation after generation will know that you are God in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.